Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, again, thank you for being here on Father's Day. You know, I heard a small child, I'll leave which one of my children nameless, who said, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except we don't spend as much. (laughs) The gift just doesn't cost as much. And I said, what gift? But I did get the best gift of all from my little girl. Lots and lots and lots of kisses. And so I'll take those any day. I figure there's going to come a day when she's not going to want to do that. I'm going to tell her I don't care. Get over here and right there. Lay them on me, baby. Uh, I heard Mark Twain say one time, uh, I didn't hear him say, I read one time that Mark Twain said. (laughs) Let me get that right, okay? (laughs) Mark Twain once said, when he was about 14 years old, he couldn't stand how ignorant his father was. Couldn't even stand to have that old man around. But by the time that Mark had gotten to be 21, he was astonished at just how much the old man had learned in the last seven years. <laughs> Bill Cosby, I'm sure we can all relate to this, says, now my, my father, now that he's a granddad, can't wait to give money to the kids. But when I was a kid, I would ask him for 50 cents and he would tell me the story of his life. He had to get up at 5 a.m. when he was seven years old, walk 23 miles to milk 90 cows, and the farmer for whom he worked had no bucket, so he had to squirt the milk into his little hand and then walk eight miles to the nearest can, all for five cents. The result, he never got his 50 cents. Now, Cosby's dad, Cosby goes on to say, that he, uh, he tells my children every time they come into the house, well, let's see how much money old granddad has for these wonderful grandkids of mine. And the minute they take that money out of his hands, I call them over to me and I snatch that money away because that is my money. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the humorous book called The, the World According to Dad, there are some, several lines I'm sure many of you can, uh, can relate to having heard or if you're a father, I'm sure maybe you've said some of these. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Such a lie. Quiet, I'm watching the game. Don't forget to check the oil or the blinker fluid if you're having fun with them. Make sure you bring back all of the change. Anybody remember that one? Man, my dad, he was the king of that one. He'd give you, you know, a dollar to go get a candy bar and he expected his 50 cents back. I expected to buy a second candy bar, but he wanted his change. Uh, This one I'm, I'm... especially fond of, how in the world should I know? Go ask your mom. I'm not made of money. Anybody? anybody? How many of you used that one? I'm not your ATM machine. Yep. When I was your age, I walked five miles to and from school every day, and it was uphill both ways. Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> you are going and you will have fun. Anybody ever use that one? I think I used that one this week alone. Who pays the bills around here anyway? Any, any, any of you ever said that? If you break your leg, don't come running to me. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like hearing Mark Twain say, right? 
Don't put your feet on the furniture. Your mother's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, we've said that a time or two. Get down before you kill yourself. On second thought, go ahead. Anybody ever said that one? No? Yeah? Quit playing with your food. Yeah, I've said that one. Be quiet. Can't you see I'm trying to think? If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to call your mother. Uh, yeah, dad, say, no? Okay. I was not asleep. I was just resting my eyes. <laughs> my favorite is, no, you can't have the remote. I'm watching that. <laughs> I suppose as dads, there are probably many more that we could add to that. Uh, being a parent and being a father is not the easiest of tasks. It can definitely be an interesting and very trying experience, someone once said. Parents spend the first part of their child's life urging them to talk and walk and spend the rest of their childhood telling them to sit down and be quiet. Right? Yeah. You know, with, with Cade, with your firstborn, I'm sure every parent was this way. With your firstborn, you begged them to walk and you tried everything you could. Come on, walk to daddy. You try to get them to say the words, dad, dad, mama. You tried everything you could, right? Uh, then when the second one comes along, you push them down. And you say, no, no, keep it, no, don't say anything, because you know where that's going to end up, right? Uh, I heard one, one dad who said to his teenage son, could I borrow the car this weekend? I'd like to take your mom on a date, and I want to impress her. Because teenagers always, may, at least seem like, they always want to keep that car nice and shiny and clean and all that kind of fun stuff. One time a, a college student sent his parents home a letter that said, please send food packages. All they serve here is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think that's very, very true. That same son later wrote home to his dad and said, Dear Dad, would you please let me hear from you more often, even if it is only a five or a ten? <laughs> that's what we dads get, right? That's the way that it works. Well, today, um, I want to say again, Happy Father's Day. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're not going to jump into a very, you know, just a whole nothing but a Father's Day message, but we're going to stay in the series that we've been in. Uh, and I want to share a message with you today that's entitled, God's Working It Out. God's Working It Out. Because I think, if we're really honest, sometimes even as a dad, I, I look at it and I go, I have no idea how that's going to happen. Anybody else feel me there? I, have, I don't have a clue, but I'm trusting that God's going to. And I think some of us are facing some pretty serious situations. And so today I want to offer you some hope and some encouragement. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of passages. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, but stick a marker over in James chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a little bit. And there's a ton of verses that we're going to see in between as we go, okay? Um, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. Famous passage, one of my favorite chapters in the entire book of the Bible, because uh, there's so much goodness there, right? Uh, begins, you know, uh, we, we don't live under condemnation, right? We've been set free that we're children of God. And then you get on down to the end of it and it gets into some fantastic work there. And one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible uh, is Romans 8, 28. And it says, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purposes. We know that all things work together for good. Amen. I, it doesn't say some things. I wish at times it did, because it would be a little bit more palatable to deal with in our life's existence. But it says all. A-L-L. -L. 
All. Every portion. 100%. All of it. He works them together for good. He works them together for the good. Each and every part of our life comes together and he takes it and he mixes it all together and he works it out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so today we're going to look at two things, two questions that we're going to answer, why and how. My two favorite questions to ask and my two least favorite questions to be asked. Because my kids, if you you understand this, our children are really good at saying this, but why daddy? Why can't I go to the pool? Why can't I go? Why? 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 There have been times in our house that we've had to look at them and say, why is not a question that you're allowed to ask anymore? Because I said so is the only answer that matters, right? And that's another famous dad line and mom line, I'm sure. But, but we say those kinds of things. No, don't ask why anymore. So we're going to deal with why. And the second question that we're going to deal with is How? How? So as we talk about why, why is God working it out? We believe that he is, amen? Amen. That God's going to work all things together. He's working out whatever our issue is. He's going to work it out in a way that one day we might be able to understand and make sense. We may not understand why he did it, but we'll see how he brought it together for good at least. Why does he work it out? Well, number one, because I'm his. Uh, The song said it so well there at the end of that one. It's because I'm his. I'm his. I am his. I find it interesting that this verse, Romans 8, 28, is sandwiched in between some of our favorite verses as Pentecostal believers. It's sandwiched right in behind it there. When in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says that in the same way, the spirit also joins me to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he searches the, he who searches the heart Searches the hearts, knows the spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm glad that I'm his because he works on my behalf as I get involved in the prayer journey with him. You know, the thing that's really difficult to do is to expect God to work it out when we're not talking to him as he's working it out. I expect, and oftentimes as believers, we do this. We expect God to make things good, but we never talk to him about what we should learn in the process. Everything in life is a journey. We're all on a journey, amen? I'm on one, you're on one, and all of our journeys take different pathways. They take different roads. They lead along to different outlets. And each and every one of us are responsible for how we respond to our journey. I may not like the outcome of what I see in front of me, but I'm trusting that as I take the next step in faith, that God has a next step where my foot's going to land that's going to make sense. And I keep trusting step after step, but I have to be involved in the process and the conversation with him. It's interesting because we don't often realize, uh, often utilize many of the verses in Scripture and promises. We a lot of times take them out of context. We, we pluck out portions of it. Like, like in verse 28, we know that God works all things together for the good of those. And we stop there. We know that God works all things together for good. Of those who are called according to his purposes. Those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Well, To love God is to obey God, amen? So if we're not putting, honestly, putting everything on the table and saying, Lord, this is all yours, we've got to get the whole thing together. 
Not that we're entirely misrepresenting what Scripture says when we do that. We're trying to cling to something. But we've got to see that the whole process has a place in our lives. How do we know that God is working our mess together for good? Well, because we've been in prayer. We've allowed the Spirit to pray through us. And we know that He's making intercession for us in a way that we can't and we don't understand. We allow the Spirit to move in our hearts. We know that God's going to take this mess and He's going to make something beautiful out of it because we have trusted it to Him. And we've prayed and we've prayed and we've trusted and we've had a conversation with Him. I don't always understand how, but I do understand that He's going to do it for me. He's going to make a difference for me. Furthermore, we know that he's working it out because we're called. Now, being called isn't just preacher jargon. As a, as a minister of the gospel, we do feel called of God to fulfill his purpose and plan. There's a calling on that. There's a calling on your life to do what God has asked you to do. The calling is for those who are his. The calling is for those who love him. The calling is for each and every person. It's a posture. It's a position of being in God's family. You're his. You know, when I call my children... I expect them to respond because I have called them. I expect my children to do what I've asked them to do. Why? Because I've called them by name and told them to go do X, Y, and Z. We, as children of God, are the same. God calls to us and says, you, Kyle, do this. This is what I want you to do. And we don't understand all the time. There have been plenty of times that God said, hey, but I trust that God is good because it's who he is. And it's because I am to the image of new. Those who are called, those who are his. He's not in the bailout business for those who he has no relationship with. Amen. That was way better than you were amening. God's not in the bailout business. He's in the redemption business. God doesn't issue a bailout so that it's just a bailout. If God bails you out of something, gives you a bailout, it's because he's redeemed you and there's a purpose for what he's doing. Guess what? If you're his, there's a purpose for you breathing. And it's not just to take up oxygen on this place we call earth. It's to fulfill his purpose and plan for your life. God has a purpose and a plan for us. Amen. There's something he wants from each and every one of us. He wants you to be the best dad you can be, to be the best mom you can be, to be the best son or daughter that you can be, to be the best employee or, or manager or business owner that you can, to fulfill the purpose he has put in your heart to do. God has put it there, so fulfill it. He's in your corner. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And when, uh, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? If God's for you, who could be against you? If God is for you, if God's asked you to do what you're doing, no devil in hell can stop you. I'm his. He has empowered me with everything I need for life and for godliness. Amen? Everything I need to win is already inside of me. He's already placed it there. If God is for us, who could be against us? He didn't even spare his own son but offered him up as well for us all. How will he not also grant us everything? Man, this scripture is way too good. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Listen, that's kind of like saying, I'm going to get, get, going to get into a computer venture, and Bill Gates is in my corner, and I've got him on speed dial. 
It's going to work out all right. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to get into a banking venture and I've got Mr. Chase in my corner and on speed up. He's on your side and he's helping. He's working on our behalf even when we don't see it. He's there. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, verse 37, no, in all things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life or angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. You talk about a hotline, a direct plug, a direct connection to God. He's on your side. I'm his and because I'm his, he's winning with me. That's why he's working it out, because I am his. And nothing can change that. No external force can separate me from God. Nothing. Nothing. No thing. Nothing. So I'm his. The second reason why he's working it out is because it's who he is. It's who he is. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, but I've not experienced that in my life. Why did God let me down in this? Why did this happen to me if God, if, if who he is is one who's working it out? Well, let me show you in scripture how he's working it out and how it's who he is. Let me show you his character demonstrated in scripture. In Psalm 124, and these will be on the screen for you to follow along. Psalm 124, verse two says, if the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. I'm not talking about your wife, okay, guys? And that's not who I'm talking about. Verse 4, then the waters would have engulfed us, the torrents would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept over us. Praise the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's who he is. Our help is in him. That's who he is, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 125.2, Jerusalem. The mountains surround her and the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. He's on your side. He's with you. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You must simply be quiet. There's a time and place we need to stop griping at God for not helping us out and just realize that he'll fight for you. And just be quiet and let the Lord have his way. And petition and prayers, make it known before the Lord, but let God fight for you. Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord who goes before you will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. Just as you saw him do. Just as you saw Think back to how many times God has seen you through. Think back to the miracles you've experienced. Think back to everything that God has done in your life. How many times have we seen the miracle of God at work in our life? That's proof positive in each of our lives that we know he's able. How many times has God provided when you didn't think there was a way? When did healing come and you thought for sure that the doctor was going to be right? Think back to how many times we have seen God work. 
And just as we've seen him do, he'll do it again. Jeremiah 1, 19. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Now listen, I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe you sit there and go, yeah, but it seems like they're prevailing against me. It seems like everywhere I turn, the attack is too great. Guess what? Your heavenly father is on your side and he said they will fight you, but they will not prevail against you. He said it's possible. He didn't say it would be easy. He said that you will get through it and on the other side of it, you're going to be the victor. But he didn't say in the process that you weren't going to have to fight for it. There's a fight to be had. Mom, dad, step up to the plate and fight the fight so that some things your kids will never have to fight. There are some battles as a dad, as a mom, you are called to win so that, so that on the other side, your kids will never have to face it. But by the grace of God, your children will never, never have to conquer that if you will take the time to win first. See, his character It's his character. It's who he is. You can't change who God is. Old Testament, New Testament, he's on your side working it out. The third reason why he works it out is because his perspective is not restricted. It's not restricted. How many times have we ever said to our kids, you'll understand one day? You don't have to understand. One day you'll get it. You know, our kids are getting to that age where they're starting to see things and ask questions. And I'm going, no, I'm not answering that question yet. No, uh-uh. Nope, nope. Uh, we're not having the birds and bees talk yet. Nope, 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 nope. I'm just grateful that my daughter, you know, she's still to this day, she's seven, but as long as she keeps saying this, we're going to keep going with it. She's never going to get married and she's just going to live in the house next door and she's going to make us breakfast every morning. And every dad of a daughter says, amen. Even though we have rules and requirements for how many grandchildren they each are to provide, they can adopt. They've seen it work, okay? Because we ain't having that conversation, you know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Perspective changes things, right? Perspective changes everything. When you understand something, man, all of a sudden things become clear. Guess what? God's perspective is not inhibited. There is no restriction to his perspective. He sees it as clearly as it can get. We see, as as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we see uh, clouded, dimly, as in a dirty mirror. We don't get it. It it doesn't make sense. But then we're going to see clearly and we're going to be known, we'll know fully even as we are fully known. One day, our perspective is going to be the same as God's. I don't have to get it right now. I don't have to understand. Uh, my, my favorite uh, old chorus ever is, is simply says, I don't have to understand. I don't have to know a time. All I have to know, Jesus, is that I'm always on your mind. I don't have to understand. I don't have to understand. I just have to know you are able. How many times in life has that phrase and that verbiage been so uh, applicable to me? I don't have to get it. I just have to trust that you're going to see me through it. He sees in one year. He sees in five years. He sees in 10 years what this is going to look like. He understands what the end is. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees how all of the ingredients of our life are going to work together to provide the perfect taste at the end. 
Now, every morning, I, I've told this story before, so bear with me. Uh, every morning during the school year, I make my kids breakfast. Every single morning, I make their breakfast. And I make them pancakes. Every morning. I mean, that, that's good, right? Never mind that I just rip open the package, throw them in the microwave for a minute 20. Still, every morning, they get pancakes. And if they want bacon, it takes an extra 20 seconds, okay? Nonetheless, they get it. Now, when we start talking about the real homemade stuff, that's when Rachel makes cinnamon rolls. Now, when Rachel makes cinnamon rolls, it's not throw them in the microwave for a minute 20. It's go to the store, here's the list of ingredients, they all have to be fresh. They all have, you know, the yeast has to be active. I didn't know there was such a difference between active and non-active. I thought if it was yeast, it was yeast, right? But no, it has to be active yeast. And then it has to be uh, self-rising flour. It can't be the regular stuff that we've got. We have to go by the special ingredients, right? And then you have to mix it all together in stages. And then you have to let it breathe. Like, I never understood. Like, you have to let it breathe? You have to let it work? What? Make the cinnamon rolls already, woman. Come on! You have to knead the dough, and then you have to roll it out, and then you have to bunch it all back up, and then you have to put it in the oven, not on, just in the oven. Why in the oven and not on the microwave? I don't know, but you put it in the oven and close the door, and you have to let it do its thing in there for about 45 minutes, right? Then you get it out, and you spread it all out, and you roll it out, and then you have to mix all the stuff to go on the inside, and it's a process. I wanted cinnamon rolls in five minutes, not six hours later. Right? And you have to work it all together, and then you have to mix everything, then you pour it in there, and then you, you have to, it takes time. And if you short one, part, one portion of the whole process, you know what happens? You know what happens if the humidity is too high? They don't quite rise right. If the humidity is too low, or if the, the temperature is uh, hotter, like we figured it out for how to make them in our ice cube of a house, right? Like other people, they, they make them in their houses like a, no, a normal toasty, uh, 75 to 77 degrees. It's a little bit of a different process. But in our 65, 66 degree house, you have to do it a little bit different, right? And you have to, it just takes a little different process. And you have to adjust a little bit. Guess what God does? He takes your house, your house temperature, the temperature that you're used to living in, maybe 67 degrees, where somebody else's is 77. But God takes and uniquely custom fits the solution for how he works it out, all of the ingredients to fit perfectly with your setup. He takes it all and he mixes it together. We don't get it. I don't understand how it works, but what I do know is that when God is kneading everything together and he's rolling it and it feels like he's crushing it and, and, and everything doesn't make sense, guess what God is doing? On the other side, pure perfection is going to come out. Why? Because it's who he is. He sees the end result in six hours versus six minutes. He sees that there was not enough flour and we've got to add another dusting to it. He sees that not all of the lumps were worked out and we've got to go back one more time and knead that out. He sees that there's a process you're going through and on the other side of it, he's making it perfect just for you. His perspective is not restricted. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees what happens when all of the ingredients are worked out. He sees how everything fits together. But in the process 
of him working it out because I know that he will. He works it all together. In that process, how? How do I behave? How do I behave? This is the no fun part. The why part, that's fun because he's on your side because it's, you're his, it's who he is because he sees the end from there. That's the fun part of why. But how do I behave in the process? Well, when you're waiting and it seems like forever, I never understand why when I go to the doctor's office and my, our doctor's a family friend and one time I asked him, why do I bother making an appointment for one o'clock when it's going to be two o'clock before you see me? <laughs> I'm not patient. <laughs> Although when I go, I'm supposed to be a patient and have patience, I guess. I don't really, listen, they chose those words on purpose. That's all I'm saying. You are patient, therefore be patient. I don't know. Patience is not something I like. Uh, Rachel would probably attest to this, that I have all of the patience in the world because I've never used a drop of it. I, don't, I want it now. I don't understand why. Why does it take so long? Why in the world, if you knew I was coming to pick that up at 2 o'clock, did you not have it ready by 2.01? And now it's 2.15 2 and it should have been ready 15 minutes. You see what I'm saying? I, I don't have, exactly have the most patience. But that's the way God expects us to behave while we're waiting. He expects us to understand that his timetable is not an oven. Or it's not a microwave, it's an oven. His timetable works a little bit differently than ours. It's not a minute and 20 seconds to get those pancakes back out so that you can have them. We've got to wait patiently in God's perspective. Patiently waiting to see the end produced. In James chapter 1, if you've got your Bible slip over there, we've got to remember that when I see things from his perspective, I'll get his results. It's what verse 2 through 4 teaches. It says, to consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, it's, it's not... It's not just the trial that produces the result. It's how we behave during the trial. It's how I behave in the process that makes the difference. Because, you see, the, the testing is what produces endurance. But the endurance has to do its completed work. We have to allow it to complete its process to mature us. If I don't let the process run, I come out short-sighted. And guess what? Maybe the icing didn't get all the way mixed up, and so I'm not quite as sweet as I should have been. Maybe I short-circuited the process, and that's why I'm a little bit sour. Maybe that's why I'm a little bit bitter. Because in the process, in the testing of my faith, I did not allow endurance to do its complete work. I didn't allow the entire process to play out, but instead I expected a bailout so I didn't have to endure anything more. See, God knows what you need before you ever ask, and he never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a pain. He never wastes a sorrow. We just have to see it from his perspective. That's why Psalm 121 is so important. It says in verse 1, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? It's not where, will my, where my help comes from. That's the way we like to sing the song. 
I lift my eyes up where my help comes from. But the verse doesn't say that. It says, I lift my eyes up towards the mountain. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I lift my eyes up so I don't see all the distractions around me because I'm wondering where does my help come from? And I'm reminded when I don't see everything right here, when I get my elevation, my gaze set to a higher elevation, that God's got this. When I get my eyes off of my surroundings, I can understand that he's on my side and he's working it out because I've got my eyes set where they should be, where the help's going to come from, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen? He's going to see us through it. See, God's got you covered. He's your source. He's your strength. Trust him and his perspective. We should wait patiently while we're in great company. So number one, wait, wait patiently in God's perspective. And secondly, wait patiently in great company. Hebrews 11, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, is called the Hall of Faith. It lists those that have gone on before us who have entered into their reward and how they overcame. But at the end of the chapter, it says something a little bit different. It it talks about those who persevered and they were approved. All these, verse 39, all these were approved through their faith, even though they did not receive what was promised. Hmm. Tell the governor I'm busy. I don't like this verse. You know why I don't like this verse? Because it reminds me that people were faithful even though they didn't get the promise. Yet, they're rewarded eternally for the promise that they clung to. It reminds me that in the here and now, I may not get what I want. But in the then and there, I get everything that he said I could have. I may not become that millionaire that I hope that I would be today, but then and there I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I may not be healthy and whole in the here and now, but then and there I'm going to walk with a new body who's going to have no issues whatsoever. I'll, I'll eat from the tree of life. I'll drink from the river of life. I, I'll have no issues whatsoever. And the here and now may not be well, but then and there is going to be amazing. Amen. I may struggle here and now because we live in a fallen, frail, depraved world that keeps crumbling and crumbling because it's spiraling downward, contrary to what Darwin said. We are spiraling downward, not spiraling upward, growing more. No, no, no. We're getting worse and worse and worse because that's the way God set things in motion. But on then and there, God's going to take everything and he's going to write it new and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and he's going to make sure that we're a part of that if we're his. Even though they did not receive what was promised, they were approved through their faith. Then and there, they got it. While here and now, they didn't. But chapter 12 starts off this way in a beautiful, beautiful phrase. It says, therefore, therefore. Every time you see therefore in Scripture, ask yourself, what's it there for? Connect the verses together, okay? They didn't get what they were promised. Therefore, since we are also... Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. We're surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses. They're cheering us on. If you need a cheering squad to get through it, guess what? The heavenly hosts are on your side and they're saying you can remain faithful. You can see it through. You will. God's got you in this stay the course. So we wait. We wait patiently. 
in God's perspective and in great company while we exercise faith. Waiting is not sitting around doing nothing. Guys, it's not sticking your head in the sand hoping it'll all go away. Waiting is exercising our faith, making it happen, working the process, working the promises that we have in front of us, the, the, the principles of, of Scripture that we know. We put them into practice. Uh, we learn to not forget during the darkest hours what we learned in the light. In the darkest hours of life, we say, no matter what, I'm going to get through this because he's on my side. We remember and we quote those promises. He's got you in this. Waiting is doing a small routine, things gradually day by day. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter wrote and said that the Lord does not delay his promises as un some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Another way we hear that said is that God is not slow in keeping his promises or slack in keeping it. In other words, God's got a way of making it happen. Trust him to make it happen. Trust God to see you through it. Trust that he's got you in this. You see, you never know. God may have sent you the answer long before you knew you ever needed it. You never know. Somebody could have put the check in the mail when you didn't even know you had the issue, and it's going to show up at the exact moment that you needed it. There's a story out of, out of uh, the Congo from years ago of a medical missionary who served there named Helen. Uh, one night, as she, was, uh, she wrote this in, in a missionary magazine. She said, one night I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward. But in spite of all we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We'd have difficulty keeping the baby alive because we had no incubator, much less electricity run an incubator, and there were no special feeding facilities. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly and treacherous with drafts. One student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and the cotton wool that the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke the fire and fill up the hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle, it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in these tropical climates. And then she followed it up with, this was our last hot water bottle. As in the West, it's no good crying over spilled milk. So in Central Africa, it might be considered no good crying over burst water bottles. They don't grow on trees, and there are no drugstores down forest pathways. All right, Helen said, put the baby as near the fire as you can safely. Sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from the drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. Well, the following day at noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who would choose to gather with me, and I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about, and then told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm. I mentioned the hot water bottle. I mentioned that the baby could so easily die if it got the chills. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During our prayer time, one 10-year-old little girl, Ruth, she prayed with, unusual, with the, the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. She simply said, Dear God, send us a water bottle. It'll, no be, it'll be no good tomorrow as the baby will have died. So please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by the way of corollary, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so that she'll know that you really love her too. As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say, amen? 
I just didn't believe that God could do it. I know, I know. He can do everything. The Bible says so, but there are limits to his powers, right? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I've been in Africa for nearly four years at this time, and I have never even received one parcel from home. Anyway, if someone did send me a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle in it? I lived on the equator. Well, halfway through the afternoon while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt the tears prickling my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. And together we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box now. And from the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes were sparkling as I pulled them out. Then there were the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children looked a little bored. But then came a box of mixed raisin and, and various nuts that would make a nice batch of buns for the weekend. Then again, I put my hand in and could it really be? Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, it was a brand new hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth, the little girl who prayed, was sitting on the front row of the children, and she rushed forward, crying out, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed doll. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, can I go over with you, Mom, and give the doll to that little girl so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her? You see, friends, that parcel had been on the way for five years months. Packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months before. And all of it was an answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old that it would be brought that afternoon. You see, friends, God's working it out. He may have sent your answer months ago and you didn't even know it. You may be waiting. Wait patiently, trusting that he's gonna fulfill his promises. Wait patiently, knowing that there are those that they didn't receive their reward until they got to heaven, but they waited patiently and they persevered and God has seen them through, amen? Wait patiently, trusting that he's gonna work it out. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, Pastor, you know what? We've got a struggle. I've got a struggle. I've got a fight. I don't know how God's going to deal with what's in front of me, but I'm trying my best to handle it. You know what? God's got this. Trust him to see you through it. Whatever you're facing in the coming days, in the coming months, trust that he's already sent the answer that you need. Man, if that's you and you say, that's me, I am facing down a giant, I'm facing down a battle, I'm fighting. I'm trusting that God's going to work it out. Would you slip up a hand? Okay. Who else? All right. You can put your hands down. Here's the thing. He's got you. 
He's got you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I'm far from the Lord. I'm allowed sin in my life and before I can even begin to trust Him to work it out, I need to trust Him for my salvation. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Okay. All right. Who else? Here's what we're going to do. In just a second, our elders are going to make their way and they're going to stand behind these altars. It's a place that we can connect with others and we can connect with the Lord. In a moment, we're going to ask everyone to stand and we're going to ask those of you who raised your hand, whether you need to pray for salvation or you're in the middle of a fight and you're trusting that, you need, that God's going to work it out. You don't really see how, but you're trusting that he will. Maybe you need help using some of the patience that God's given you. God will do it if we'll allow him to. So right now, if you would, all across the room, would you please stand? Elders, would you make your way? If you raised your hand or you should have and said, you know what, that's me. I need God to help me wait patiently. I need God to help me trust him that he's going to see me through. Whatever the case may be, prayer team, come on. If you raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to get out of your seat and make your way this way. There'll be no judgment, but they'll only be cheering for you as you make your way to, to, to trust in God. And so if that's you, you raised your hand or you should have, come on down. We want to pray with you. We want to agree that God will see you through because that's who he is. That's who he is. Come on, somebody else. Let's